in the process of building that kind of that 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 organization, we realized that the orchestration layer of technology like that we had built was actually far more valuable than that the that the, 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 the company we were building. That meaning like being able to uh, qualify people, check fraud, and being able to like get it, approvals much faster. In a nutshell, like by virtue of making uh, a machine that does it this in, in a much more cost-efficient and fast way, it, it, it translated into being able to like uh, allow other folks to do this in a more efficient way, therefore having more competitiveness in the environment. And like by virtue of lowering those costs, your marginal loans, your, your mar that marginal consumer gets actually approved, right? Because like everyone, if their costs of everyone go down, therefore like that that customer on the margin gets their loan approved, right? So for us, from a mission standpoint, like that's how we shift it, right? Instead of like thinking just about one customer, it's like how we we benefit every single one. And I, I think through technology, we realized like, hey, like we can we could continue making this impact, but on a much larger scale. My guest on today's episode of The In Factor is Andreas Klerik. Andreas is the co-founder of Fuse Finance, a next-generation loan origination software that builds custom workflows and integrations without compromising scalability and security. Prior to starting Fuse Finance with his former Harvard Business School MBA classmate, Andreas worked as an analyst, associate, and VP for Murdrick Capital, Crescent Capital Group, and HIG Capital. Timing and experience played a significant role in creating the opportunity for Andreas to take the leap from the corporate finance world to business founder and pursue his mission of creating value for others. In our conversation, Andreas shares how working in the auto sales industry as a teenager, the pandemic, the economy, and listening to feedback from the market came together to provide his pathway to entrepreneurship. Andreas, thank you for joining me today on The In Factor. Good morning, Rebecca. Great, great, great to be here. So I'm very excited to have a conversation with you this morning. You're, um, you know, you're a, a an impressive young entrepreneur who has left a corporate world to to do your own thing uh, in the finance space. Um, so I'm really excited to share this story with our audience. And to get us started, let's talk a little bit about who you are and where you come from and your background and how you started your company, uh, Fuse Financial. Yeah, no, uh, happy to share. So I'm born in Tennessee, but as you can tell by my accent, I am not necessarily like uh, your typical guy from Chattanooga. I was born there, but I was raised my entire life in Bolivia. I I, I grew up uh, kind of knowing that at some point I will uh, come back to the U.S. Uh, to pursue like a college education. I come from a family that, that it, for a while has been related to the auto space. And my grandfather was a race car driver. My dad has been working in the auto space for a while too. And my first job out of high school was selling cars. Uh, I, I, I sold cars during the summers, paid for college, uh, sell, selling cars in Northern Virginia. And that kind of, that was a pretty like formative experience, uh, dealing with rejection as a teenager 
not only like uh, getting your heart broken uh, in high school, but getting your heart broken by your customers. <laughs> I think that that, that was uh, character building. And then I spent uh, 10 years at Wall Street. I was an investor in tech and business services. Along the way, uh, did my MBA. That's where I met, I met my co-founder eight years ago. And a little bit over, uh, almost three years ago now, decided to take the plunge and uh, start something on my own. I, I was fortunate, to, uh, as I mentioned, to be my co-founder a, a little bit, a few years back and convince him to kind of uh, join and, and, and build views alongside with me. That's, uh, you know, that's a great story. And I just have to ask you about your sales experience. Has that come in handy, having Absolutely. that experience in sales? And, and what did you learn? Were there some lessons you learned from that that you've been able to use as a, as a uh, you know, an entrepreneur and, and with a startup? Yeah, I think it's the, the empathy that you uh, develop, right? Like uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think either selling like a large software or a car, uh, it, it's really and customer empathy is first, right? Like you need to listen to what the customer wants, what, what are their aspirations and where do they want to get, right? Some people just want the car to get from point A, from point A to point B. Some people have long commutes and you need to understand kind of like the comfort they're looking in the vehicle. And it's the same thing for software, right? Like that level of empathy, understanding kind of what, what problem, what the job to be done. So is for the, for the tool that they're acquiring, it, it, it's huge, right? And I would say, like, as, as I mentioned, uh, the level of rejection, uh, kind of familiarizing yourself with failure at an early age really, really allows you to better process all the, like, up in, like the continuous failure in which like life is, right? Life is a collection <laughs> right. of failures that make you stronger, right? And I think the car dealership is, you get so many no's on a daily basis that uh, you're, you get thick skin, but like also at the same time, that thick skin also allows you to be more empathetic in, in other categories of life. You know, I love that. And um, I recently uh, published a book that's called See, Do, Repeat mm -hmm. about the practice of entrepreneurship. And it's really that story of seeing opportunities, taking action, and then continuing to execute past failure. And as you pointed out, that's life, right? That's how mm -hmm. we learn everything. You know, if you even look back at how you learn to walk, uh, most of us don't remember that, but we've seen others learn to our, yeah. our children or or uh, nieces and nephews. And, um, you know, you fall down, you get back up and you keep trying. And so great life lessons there. You know, sales is something that I think most entrepreneurs really could benefit from. Um, and I love that you brought up empathy because it really starts with understanding how you can create value for a customer. And uh, that's something it sounds like you learned at, at a you know early in your work career. Now, tell us about Fuse Financial, this company that you started with a co-founder. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so and I think it, uh, to, to, we started as a B two C direct to consumer business, right? So the way that like the business started is we were helping folks. Uh, we were selling loans uh, to credit unions, banks finance companies uh in particular we're trying to like uh, make our uh, dent in the universe via uh, like auto loans for re or for refinancing folks that were trying to lower their rates uh, it's some re a recurring question that came up every time we uh, kind of caught up with some of our partners uh was guys out of curiosity what type of tech stack you're using because all the applications you send are pretty clean like the, we fund you pretty fast and 
for a company your stage and uh, how early uh, you are, uh, we're pretty impressed. And, and at first we brushed it off because we were like, hey, this, this, we're, not, we're, we're, we're a direct-to-consumer business. This is the, what you're asking us is like to become a technology company. And the more, the more that, that type of conversation repeated itself, the more we recognize that, hey, like we, are, we, we might actually be better off selling technology than selling loans, right? So we, uh, we had to have that honest conversation with ourselves and be like, hey, like we're a startup company where we have limited capital. How do we actually, what, what is the honest thing to do with ourselves, right? Like we can do the big splash on LinkedIn and say like, hey, like we've done all these loans or we can be like, hey, like the most sustainable path for this business is to pursue the, the software as a service uh, path. And that's what we did, right? Like we started signing up customers, uh, but we came from a place of empathy just to uh, ha hammer on that point again. We knew the, the product that we, that we were selling is a product we were intimately using before. We just had to productize it at the enterprise level, but we knew the customer and the needs quite well because we were the first customer of that product. Yeah, so there's a lot in there I want to sort of dig into. So let's back up a little. You started B2C, that is selling directly to people who needed loans for automobiles, correct? Yes, that's correct. So how did you find this opportunity? Um, you, yeah. you started in, in auto sales. You spent time in, in finance, right? I yes. Think. And so talk about how you found that first, found that first opportunity, and then I want to talk about you know, how, how you pivoted and transformed your business. Yeah. No, like for me, like the biggest insight that I had from my days at the dealership was that like most people, like uh, whenever they get a car at the dealership, they get a loan. But what they forget is that they, uh, that loan could actually be refinanced. I, a lot of people think, Hey, like uh, this, this loan that I have uh, is the loan that I got kind of married to. And like, I, the only thing I can do is just pay it off over time. And the reality is like, if, if your your credit journey is varied, right? Like not everyone starts with necessarily, uh, it's young, it has gone through like different uh, kind of journeys in their own uh, in, in their own life that, had, that made that uh, credit score fluctuate. What they forget is they can actually, like if their, if their circumstances change, they can, they may qualify for a better, for a better loan. Uh, and that's kind of what we, what we saw as an opportunity, like during the, uh, after the pandemic rates went very low, there was a massive opportunity for folks to take advantage of that and like really lower the, the monthly payments. And I, and I think like from a mission standpoint, I, I really like the, the fact that that solution was not a vitamin type of product. It was actually cured to a, like a, uh, to a real problem. And it was just uh, loans that were too expensive for folks. And there was an actual solution for them out there. So we were trying to create awareness via, via social campaigns and all of that. Uh, but in the, in the process of building that kind of that 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 organization, we realized that the orchestration layer of technology like that we had built was actually far more valuable than that the that the, 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 the company we were building. That meaning like the being able to uh, qualify people, check fraud, being able to like get approvals much faster. In a nutshell, like. But by virtue of making uh, a machine that does it, this in, in a much more cost-efficient and fast way, it, it, it translated into being able to like uh, allow other folks to do this in a more efficient way, therefore having more competitiveness in the environment. And like by virtue of lowering those costs, 
your marginal loans, your, your, that marginal consumer gets actually approved, right? Because like everyone, if their costs of everyone go down, therefore like that, that customer on the margin gets their loan approved, right? So for us, from a mission standpoint, like that's how we shift it, right? Instead of like thinking just about one customer, it's like how we, we benefit every single one. And I, I think through technology, we realized like, hey, like we could, we could continue making this impact, but on a much larger scale. So very, um, you know, very interesting. And and thinking about where this opportunity came from, it came from um, some of your work experience. So getting work experience really educated you on the, the space yeah. and also the, the current conditions in, in financing, as you pointed out, which are have changed again. And I'm curious, you know, I want to ask about that here in a few minutes. Uh, but, but I find it really interesting that, um, that you were able to continue to, to, um, to actually focus on your mission, even when you pivoted and changed. So, so you've been a mission driven organization from the beginning, understanding that you want to create value for people, um, in this space and by ed- by providing them with awareness, as you pointed out, and education around the fact that they could they could uh, get a better rate, at least initially, and then later you could save money for others who are providing loans uh, through your processes. So, so I love all that. Just a quick question. When you think about um, B2C versus B2B, it's typically a very different type of sales cycle and demand generation cycle. So um, let's talk about how that changed a little bit. You went from selling directly to consumers. How did you reach them? Uh, yeah. did, you, did you have partnerships or, um, and then how did, how did that change when you went B2B? Yeah, uh, in the B2C space, our, our biggest and more successful channels were uh, TikTok and Facebook. Uh, we, uh, I would say, I, I can do an entire call on like uh, ads that worked, but uh, in general, like testimonials uh, are seem to be like very successful on that uh, on that on that place. The only problem is, uh, I would say, uh, it's you don't get to know the customer, right? Because your ICP could be anyone, right? Like it's it's, it's the the problem with B two C is that you're trying to create a message, but the message is for a broad audience, right? It's kind of giving a speech in which the feedback loop in which you're getting is like people doing uh, getting your product, but that you actually don't get to necessarily have a personal interaction with your customer. You're touching, it, it's mass market, but it, it the, the, the level of touch you have interaction with the customer is, is it, it's kind of minimal. Whereas B2B, uh, you meet way less customers, but, it, but uh, I, I would describe like B2B as kind of much deeper but the breadth is like much not much narrower right whereas the uh b2 b2 the b2c experience is like it's very the breadth the the, the it, it's pretty wide but very 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 shallow kind of like the level of relationship you build with the customers the impacts the impact uh obviously like it's great on b and b2c you, uh, because you can like see all these millions of people kind of having uh, better loans but on, on b2b there's a level that i was missing even from my car selling days and like just my days in Wall Street, there at least from a go-to-market sales motion, I really enjoy meeting this our particular customers, right? Like the head of the, the chief technology officer, the CEOs of the company that we work with, really going, uh, getting to know them, getting to know the families, what are their aspirations, 
it, it's a level of personal uh, connection and you feel very responsible. And it, it goes back to empathy, right? Like you can develop much more empathy for someone that, that you're really interacting on a day-to-day -day basis. And obviously, like you know that they're they're mass, they themselves are mass market players. So like, uh, uh, it by it ultimately reaches that the, the reach that you wanted as a B two C play. But it, it's very nice, I would say, from a B two B motion standpoint, to be able to have that kind of like personal touch and have conversations like the ones that we're having, right? Like really develop that and like every year, kind of try to every month, every quarter, try to give them like a product that they want and like. Uh, uh, allow them to get the, to the highest level they can with our technology. Yeah, that, that's really insightful. And, you know, it, 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 does, it did, I'm sure, require a shift in uh, focus and resources and strategy when you made that pivot uh, from B to, B to C to B to B. But great lessons in there for others who are, you know, considering whether or not they are in the right, uh, you know, targeting the right space. Um, now you're. Uh, we talked about the fact that uh, a lot of your original opportunity came when interest rates were very low. So yeah. I, I'm on the board uh, of a public company that sells boats, basically manufactures sells boats, and so you know the the industry has been very up and down, uh, and there's a lot of things going on. The pandemic. Um, had a big effect on it. The interest rates were low. They've gone back up. Inflation's up. Um, you know, what are you seeing in your space? And, and, you know, what are some of the, I mean, the emissions issues are also a big one for, um, you know, and, and the environmental issues, um, you know, movement to, uh, in, in the auto space, you know, moving to a lot more electric vehicles. So what's going on and, and how is this impacting you and your customers. Yeah, I, I, I can touch a little bit on marine. Marine tends to be have a little more of the discretionary spend component to it. Yeah, uh, and it, the, the, the liquidity of the market is a little bit different. Uh, they're they're actually like very successful credit startups. Um, it's not at this point that they're like hundreds of millions in terms of value they created. But what they've been able to do is uh, they've recognized the fact that there's a uh, difficulty because there's lack of liquidity in our market you can actually uh, uh, make loans in, in the marine space at very attractive rates people with very high credit scores because in, in essence there's like lack of uh, credit opportunity on that space so i do think that like in general like uh, although it has like this component of volatility and and kind of cyclicality to it, uh, it it's still like an attractive space from a credit standpoint uh, of, of course, uh, uh, if, if we, we will have a very bad downturn, it's, we, you probably would expect the same thing that happens with second homes, right? Like people will default first on their boat loan than they will do on their car loan, right? Mm -hmm. But I think like usually the demographic that like has a boat is uh, more, uh, probably a little more higher, higher income. Therefore, it's probably a better type of uh, collateral on a risk adjusted basis. In terms of like more the broad credit spectrum, of course, like there's uh, as as rates go up, there's more tightening that to be seen there. Uh, at least that's what the Fed has said. Uh, I think we, we, in the spectrum of the market that we play, we're still pretty small to like be able to like to what we're seeing is that folks like see as an alternative to like the technology they have in order for them to be more cost efficient, right? So we are 
in the same way that sometimes you know like the the the, the executive branch and, and set the senate kind of negotiate i am not adding new spend if you wanted to like add new spend you need to reduce certain costs here i think this that's kind of like the approach that we follow with our customers it's like you're not going to have any new net net spend with us if anything you're, you're going to spend less so we, we kind of it, it, the, the pricing that we have as an organization the value we create we if anything we come in as as a value creation more than an as uh, than like creating new costs for them, I uh, I would say for the companies that are more incumbents, they're probably seeing that right. Like particularly you know, like you're, there's an, this entire uh, conflict for uh, to generate new deposits, right? Deposits are top of mind because funding costs are going up for for uh, depository institutions, uh, and, and like funding costs are going up all, uh, in it, even for, for uh, financial institutions that cannot take deposits because. They're, they have floating rates, they're, they fund their businesses. And ultimately, like, yes, the, the, the decisions that we're seeing is like they're, they're giving us a chance precisely because they, they have a cost that are too high. So they are trying to be efficient. And by virtue of doing so, it creates an opportunity for us. So I would say you see the pressure, but it's pressure that benefits newcomers like us. Mm-hmm. So who is your typical customer? I mean, what, who, who do you typically work with? Um, it's mostly, I would say, consumer lenders. Uh, what's a consumer lender, right? Like, there's two categories uh, of consumer lenders. There's uh, the secure and unsecure. The unsecure products will be personal loans, credit cards. Um, the, those in general will be considered unsecure. Uh, and secure loans will be the, the, anything that is backed by a collateral, a car, a boat, a house. Uh, I would say in the mortgage space, it's probably one of the places in which for, for now is not a priority for us. Uh, and why is that? There's there's probably like even a, a more accurate way to dissect the market for like technology for lenders. There's lenders that require speed and lenders that do not require speed and just the nature of the business. Like the mortgage space, no one expects to have a mortgage in five minutes. Whereas like someone applying for a personal loan, they've, they've seen approvals, right? Like they, they, you can do it on your phone, it takes in essence one or two minutes, right? Like to actually get approved or pre-qualified. So people are expecting that experience, right? People, I mean, I, I was on my on, on my Uber to the airport yesterday, and while every at every light, I could see that my driver was doing trading on Robinhood, right? Like, so that's kind of the experience that people are expecting, right? Like they're the same way that they're getting their DoorDash, the way that they're ordering on Amazon, they're expecting to get a response uh, from from financial products like credit. So we're trying we're trying to power those solutions, right? So anything that requires speed. So I would describe car loans, credit cards personal loans and small business loans kind of qualify within that kind of like lightning speed type of uh, lending that we need to power. The other categories are a little bit slower and like, it, it, and I would describe as non-core uh, to our strategy today. That's really interesting. So you've transitioned from auto loans to a wide variety of loans. And um, so, and, and you're right, you know, you see all the ads for, uh, the companies that actually give you a home loan, even now you mentioned mortgages, but you know they even show that you can go online and get your you know pre-finance uh, approval, that sort of thing. Um, so it's uh, it's it is a different world we live in, and people want that kind of speed. And and so you all found an opportunity there. How about uh, just uh, I've got several questions, but let's go back very quickly to you and your partner. So you came into this with a, a background. Uh, I, th- I think you went to Harvard. Is that right? Yes, and- we met at the MBA there. 
Okay, so you met there, and uh, so you both have Harvard MBAs, so you have strong business backgrounds. You worked on Wall Street, and you also had experience in the automobile industry. What did, how did you and your partner uh, know that the two of you could be a good fit? Because sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that you know are struggling with partnerships. So could you talk yeah. about that very quickly? or just Yeah, it, 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 it is... I can't stress enough the importance of finding a good co-founder. It's 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 it, it makes or breaks an organization, and and the 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 entrepreneurial journey is lonely enough, and finding someone to do it and go through the trial and tribulations is fundamental. Like it's kind of like getting married. You actually spend more time with your co-founder than you do with your family. So finding someone that you trust and respect doesn't necessarily need to be your friend. You need, but you need to have a fundamental level of respect and trust for that person and complementarity between the two of you that it could be second to none. I, I met Mark, we were uh, Harvard has this thing that is called section. So you spent an entire year with a group of 80, 90 people. So he was in my section. Uh, we met there, we stayed in touch. Mark comes from, much, from a much more entrepreneurial vein than I do. That like he started at McKinsey, but he quickly transitioned into tech. He worked at Turo, the Airbnb for cars. And after uh, he went to HBS with the whole sole role, the sole view of like he wanted to start a business. He started a business in, a, in an unrelated business, in a related space. He raised venture money for that. Uh, unfortunately, the pandemic took care of that business. Mm. But like the silver lining, it gave me an amazing co-founder with a, a, a parallel perspective when it comes to product and technology and a, an attention to detail that uh, that honestly it's just best in class and and it and he raises my my game right like he he has the highest level of standards for himself and like i think everyone in their in the, in the team feels uh like impassioned to like really like do their best because he he raises the bar for all of us so it important to get a technical co-founder important but most importantly than that just get someone that you trust and that that you can actually that you can blindly say okay i i am not going to second guess you i'm going to ask uh, a couple of questions but like that this is your swimming lane this is my swimming lane and be, but i trust you blind with, with all my heart that like i know that you've done all your homework to make the decision you're making and then i back you 100 percent. so that that in itself uh it, it's it's key yeah i think that's really great advice uh it's it's hard in the early stages because everybody's in love, just like uh, when you first get married, as you pointed yeah. out. But the honeymoon's over pretty quickly, usually, and there are a lot of challenges that you have to deal with. How do you all deal with uh, with with conflict and challenges and differences? Uh, you may not call it conflict, but I'm sure there are times when you have a different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, it, the pivot was a it, it's a renewal of vows, right? You're going to do a different business. It might look similar in many categories, but you need to be equally excited, right? Like uh, at the end of the day, a pivot is a recognition that the current path, it, it's not necessarily the most optimal. So uh, uh, investors uh, give you give you the funds that in back, back you because they trust your judgment. So making that decision and like as co-founders kind of falling in love with each other again, and then and falling in love again with an idea that it, the bar needs to be much higher, right? Like we we thought the B two C idea was the idea, and like really having this aha moment that we had actually found uh, this kind of kind of goal mind, so to speak, by virtue of doing the other thing. 
uh, was was a process in which we had to together and independently uh, not not be like hype men, but actually, hey, this is why I think this is what excites me. It's like what excites you, right? And it's like, and it's redoing roles, right? I, on the prior one, I, I was I was much more of a just finance, kind of capital markets, that kind of stuff. And and now I am doing sales, right? It, it's it, I, I am going to conferences, and it's really like morphing in your role and growing into this new opportunity, and see and making sure there that you that everyone the, the two of us can do handle this the same way. At the same time, it's also like your team needs to be aligned, but that's a whole different subject uh, that that you need to get to. Yeah, yeah, and we can we can certainly dive into that. I have to ask you though, you brought, you know, I think you're uniquely uh, qualified to talk uh, to a lot of our audience about money and raising money uh, because that is certainly something I hear a lot. Um, if I just had more money, I could do a lot more. And of course, you and I both know that it's not usually just about money. In fact, it's usually not about money, although money can make a big difference at, at the right time. Um, so could you talk a little bit about, because, because of what you do, what does a, what does a small business owner or, a, a, you know, a founder need to know about raising money? And, and I would also say about getting a loan versus taking equity. And, and, um, have you, have, have you all, have you and your partner, did, um, raised money uh, from equity investors? Yeah, we raised okay. we were we raised venture money and uh we even uh, at some point raised over a billion bucks of we had over a billion bucks in term sheets to actually become a lender. We never went through that path. So, I, we know a thing or two about like fundraising. I would say raising capital for a business, it's really a, it puts you in a different path, right? In a trajectory and expectation of growth. Uh, I would say uh not everyone needs to uh raise money to uh, build a successful business. If anything, uh, 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 those entrepreneurs that have never raised a single penny and are able to kind of uh, raise growth, growth equity, growth equity. Just to clarify for the audience, it just comes at a later stage. It's not seed. It's not Series A. It's really comes down. It, it usually comes in much more uh, preferential uh, terms down the road once you are, have reached like 10, 20 million in revenue. Like really. Much lower, much higher order, or the magnitude that you will see at a seed or pre-seed stage. Uh, that's kind of the dream to be able to do like a profitable business out of the gates. Uh, that being said, uh, you, the the odds of success are not necessarily better by virtue of like just trying to like uh, bootstrap a business. Um, we, for me, like, and for Mark, two of us. I mean, I'm American, but technically, I'm, I'm a quasi-immigrant since I, 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 I was I spent my childhood overseas. I think that this country and uh, the venture capital market really provides a unique opportunity to leverage uh, like all the kind of trajectory that you had in your life. So, I, I, spending like almost 10, 15 years doing other things uh, like like Mark and I did before enabled us to have the opportunity to knock the door and, and, and really translate into opportunity to raise capital. Uh, we recognize that we were pretty lucky, like not everyone raises a venture and like, but I think for us, and I can only speak for the experience of race, of building a business with, with outside capital, uh, it creates a lot of discipline. Uh, it create it opens a lot of doors. Uh, 
but that discipline comes with a lot of responsibility, right? Like you have people, investors you need to respond to. Uh, it's it, it, you have board meetings, and it's it, 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 it is not the dictatorship of the of the founder anymore. You have it's like an actual democracy in which you you need to justify your decisions, and and your your accountability level is much higher, right? And 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 I think for us that's amazing because we're in return we're able to get capital that enables us to attract talent to grow faster and and to validate our our, our ideas much faster to get to uh, product market fit uh, at a pace that uh, that is aligned to what the pace that we would have liked to do it right because the only time is the most valuable commodity the most valuable commodity we have right so I I rather figure out and answer those the questions I have my thesis faster and I think venture capital outside capital enables you to validate thesis much faster. What did you, uh, what do you, when do you think a company is ready to ask for uh, equity money, yeah. either angel money or venture money? Yeah. And those uh, are different perhaps. I mean, those yeah. are different time frames. but. Yeah. I, first and foremost, the, the founder, the founder needs to be convinced that, 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 I mean, I always suggest to spend a little bit of your money. Like, I mean, not, not millions, but spend five, 10 K or so it, even less, right? Like to, to see if like your, whatever idea it is, like dedicate that three, four, six months that you have just to really see if you believe in it, because you're the one who's ultimately going to spend the time and sweat equity on, into this, right? Like if you raise investors, the investors money to diversify, you're, you have zero diversification as a founder, right? Like all your eggs are in this basket. So the first couple of months should really be about you developing conviction, but like, following a process in which like hey you actually check checklist pretty much like hey what what are the gotta beliefs and what are the gotta beliefs that I can confirm before I even put more of my own money and time into this mm-hmm. once you you check that uh, that level of uh, conviction then if you want to go talk with family and friends or you want to go the venture route then that's there but first and foremost I think it's you need to convince yourself and if, if you don't get to that point, then you shouldn't raise a, that, uh, a penny at all. That's great. Great advice, I think. Now, yeah. let's talk a little bit about loans because you're you're in the space of, you know, your customers provide small business loans or uh, business loans. What does uh, what an entrepreneur need to know if they want to get a loan in today's climate? You know, they, there's a lot going on, um, you know, the... The failure of Silicon Valley Bank has been, you know, and and others has been uh, a real wake up call in a lot of ways. There's crypto now, and so a lot of things are going on in financial space. So, what do, what does an entrepreneur need to know if they if they want to get a loan? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, definitely as I, as the market tightens, especially, I, I will caution against like incurring too much personal debt debt uh, as uh, as they're trying to build right like you always hear the stories of people maxing out credit cards and personal loans um i will, uh, I will recommend against it but of course uh, sometimes we winners get to tell the story and like sometimes we forget that a lot of people fail in the process of doing so uh they be very very cognizant of like cost of capital right like re, redefine print uh, it, it, either if you if you fund your business on a through a personal uh, lending side or, or or business lending side, uh, be very cognizant of like hey like just do some basic numbers right like 
I, this, this, that is going to cost me this, and this is how much the business is going to cost me. Like, it doesn't have to be like a super complex model, but just widget costs this. I sell it for this. Uh, this is how, how many costs I'm going to get, and this is how much the debt is going to cost me. Just uh, doing that gut check with your personal finances, your business finances, really enables you to say, like, this is a, uh, the type of business that I can fund with debt or not, right? Uh, as, as, it, as, it, as it comes to like specific business uh, lending, I, I think in general today, like uh, in, I would say like banks, finance companies, the credit unions, uh, the credit has become more stringent in terms of what they're looking at. But of course, profitability, paths to profitability, like seeing that the, uh, the type of contracts uh, it, where they are, what type of in, industry they operate in. But I cannot stress enough that like, I mean, credit is fundamental for capitalism, right? Like the, the role the banks play, it's it's clear. Like it was, it was clear in the in the Great Depression. It was clear in the, uh, the in, during the financial crisis. It's been even, and we got uh, reminders in the last couple months where like credit dries up, uh, the consequences they might have, right? So. Banks play a very important role, uh, and and I, I do think entrepreneurs and businesses out there like recognize that like in in order for them to uh, to make their their day to day uh, their ongoing businesses to, to work, they need credit, right? So they just need to uh, work with the part with partners that give them the good terms and uh, and and see where 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 is it that, like uh, using credit benefits them from a capital allocation standpoint. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. It's it, you know there are so many factors to consider, and it, it sounds like to me that you know that you um, with your finance background take a bit more of a conservative approach, but a growth approach in terms of taking risk. You know, and entrepreneurs are always attempting to minimize risk, right? So how I love that. I I, I mean, I, I did private equity for for a while, so like that is like it, that. That is part of, uh, but I do, but it, it's important to mention that private equity investors are diversified, right? Like when right. you're a fund, when, when it's it, it's it's easier to say like, hey, like get that uh, when like you're where you when you're super diversified, like private equity fund. Of course, all their companies or most of their companies have leverage, uh, in in the whole notion you pay on the debt and the enterprise value, uh, you just have a sh higher share with, with the cash flows. But when when you're a founder and and you're undiversified. You need to be much more cautious, right? right. Because your 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 set of outcomes, like you you don't want to be a zero, right? It's kind of like what Nassim Taleb says, right? Like uh, if you, if, if, if you shouldn't guide yourself by expected values, because if there's an expected value, which like there's a probability of going zero in certain cases, and like. It's kind of with AI and all of these things, right? Like, if there's a scenario in which the, ex the expected value we would disappear as a as a species, then we should probably don't take that gamble, right? So, right. I think that entrepreneurs should inform their appetite for debt differently than a than a than a diversified investor. Sure, sure. I that and that's I think a fantastic piece of advice and a great way to look at it. So, in today's climate, you know, with with higher inflation, how how has that affected the way you operate your business and as you look forward, you know, what 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 should an entrepreneur who's out there and 
really nervous. Uh, you know, we're talking about, we're talking right now in June, mid-June of 2023. And, you know, we've been hit with, with some really high inflation over the last several months and, um, you know, lots of fears about recession. And so what, you know, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, for a startup? What, what kind of advice would you give them in dealing with today's economy? Um, I think it, it, it's really like uh, being, having top of mind, like, how I'm going to source talent, right? Like, uh, especially uh, as you have like the whole trend of uh, back to office, it's like, where do I build my organization? How do I allocate my capital in such a way that like, I, mean, I need to, especially with a human, especially if I a tech team, how, what's, where, where can I get the best talent for organization taking into account uh, uh, increasing costs due to inflation, right? So for, for us, that's kind of top of mind. And, and for our customers, like uh, they, they face the same challenges, but on a much much larger scale, right? Like they're not only thinking about tech, they, they, or, or, or they're thinking about like their technology, like how uh, the fact that like, uh, if, if in the case of your depository institution, people are just uh, have more expenses, meaning their the deposits accounts are depleted. Therefore, like the cost of capital are, are, are going up and blah, blah, blah. So for, for us, it's like, first, how do I source talent? And second, how do I create a solution that is more, more affordable, but at the same time, of high, without compromising quality uh, for lenders, right? And 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 it has to, and 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 it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Like the the creating, you're not only you don't want to add new costs, right? You want to be a value added and, and and create that opportunity for your for 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 your customers to extract costs. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I'm so glad you brought up talent because I kind of wanted to go down that path with you a little bit. As you've, as you've been building your organization, um, there are also lots of changes going on in the talent space. And as a tech organization, maybe even more so, um, you know, that there are a lot of people that are choosing to work uh, as independent contractors and, so that that's been probably you know going on in the tech space for a lot longer, but we're seeing it now even with with uh, healthcare professionals and educators and people who are not signing on to the organization but are signing on on a project by project basis. So um, just could you talk to me a little bit about your philosophy about building a team and how is this kind of new uh, mindset around work? A lot more remote work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and also a lot more um, freelance kind of work. Yeah, no, for us, it's like we we have a bias uh, to not just uh, have like just temporary workers, of course, like the, the, the but we and we have a bias for like making everyone kind of wear the t-shirt, right? Like uh, of of the team that that's that's very important. But I, I, what I would say it it's 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 amazing, like what with all the, of course, like terrible the human human downsides with the pandemic, being able to prove that you can actually operate from a lot of places and, and be not as efficient, but just competitively efficient, uh, taking into account all the the the, um, the trade offs, uh, it, it really opened the opportunity to like, especially to do uh, uh, to hire talent not outside of the U.S. too, right? Like it, in and given the opportunity for pools of folks that like all otherwise uh, would have worked through agencies 
uh, and finding that talent, making it your own, and like, and as I mentioned that, like making them work with T-shirt. I do think that, like, going back to the B two B and B two C analogy, uh, I when it comes to B two C, it's much easier to show and inspire those remote teams. Like, yeah, this is kind of what we're doing. Like, this is the ad on Facebook and blah blah blah. B two B is a little more complex because obviously B two B businesses are definitely, in general. Uh, I mean, we're not, it's a little bit, it's a harder kind of, the customer, they're not having dinner with the CTO, right? It's just me or my co-founder. So that in itself requires much more coordination and making sure that the teams are connected and all that since we made kind of that remote decision. Um, But I I, I do think that like, it's exciting that people can do more work, more jobs kind of like uh, have uh, uh, the opportunity to have a, a flavor of multiple things. I, I do think to some extent that the problem with the contracting jobs uh, for folks that go that route is that you get, it's it's kind of like a buffet, but it's a buffet without a mentor, right? Like, so uh, I, I like the idea of more the omakase approach in which you have the, the, the sushi master in front of you and like the, you actually get to see, uh, but that just, that's how it kind of worked for me in my career, right? Like having mentors through uh, my years of Wall Street, it, it, it enables you to kind of like see uh, some, see the people you want to be like and the people you don't want to be like. And I think when you're a contractor, sometimes you might be missing those, those things. But on, on the upside, on the contrary of that, you actually get to t- see multiple organizations, higher velocity, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, I think that's all great advice. And, and I agree. I mean, we, we transformed our ability to use technology uh, in very rapid form during the pandemic, probably advanced 10 years in, in 10 months, uh, yeah. basically. Um, so uh, you brought up mentors and uh, that was something I wanted to ask you about. And you mentioned that you've had a number of mentors for the student or the young entrepreneur out there who is, is interested in finding mentors, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience and maybe what it means to be, um, you know, what it means to have a mentor. I mean, how did, how did you take full advantage uh, of that relationship? Yeah. I mean, I guess first and foremost, I had a, a, a great family like to back me. So I, I, I always, always think like, they made me an irrational and the best irrational person I could be because they believed in me before anyone else believed. Before I even knew I could do something, they, they somehow knew it and they made me believe in that. But like, I would say <laughs> outside mentors bring in that perspective, right? So I always, you're going to have some formal ones, some informal ones, but some of, some of those relationships need to be nurtured and some of them kind of form naturally and like, but it, in general, they need to be maintained, right? And they, it's up to you. In general, in general, there will be a, a generational distance with with that mentor, uh, and it's up to you if you're the younger one in that in that relationship to kind of keep up, right, and keep in touch, uh, send a holiday note, uh, try to grab coffee, and and make sure that that person continues to be pivotal in, 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 in the set of decisions you make, make, make them part uh, of your own journey, uh, of your ups and downs. Uh, most of the time you, you will hear celebrations, but they, they, whenever like things get difficult, I'm sure there will be some, a, a great source of advice to um, something that I did when I was in school 
uh, and this is more applicable for people that are still students, I went through the alumni list and I made a conscious effort to have a call every week with someone that I found interesting on the alumni list. Uh, it's hard today like for me to just reach out to someone on LinkedIn and be like, let's chat because I just want to chat. But I, when, when, I, when I was in business school in undergrad, I would just ping someone, I don't know, they work at uh, NASA or SpaceX or like a uh, agricultural company. I just, you'll be surprised on how many people just say yes, right? And I, if you're not asking an hour at a time, just take like 15, 20 minutes, talk about whatever you want to talk about. Like uh, you can talk about marriage, you can talk about life, you can talk about career. All those things are, I, I would encourage everyone to like take that, that it's still a student to take full advantage of the fact that like people really give you a chance uh, when, when you're a student. So just use that excuse. Yeah. Yeah. I give, I tell students that all the time, you won't get this kind of access, yeah. <laughs> the kind of access you're talking about later, uh, usually, uh, that you could when you're a student and, and it is pretty amazing. That's, that's really great advice. Tell me, uh, we talked a little bit about failure and challenges along the way. Have you ever, uh, well, I'm sure you have, you've had some failures and challenges, otherwise you wouldn't be successful. Uh, because that's always part of a successful journey. Um, but do you have any stories or or any examples that you could share of maybe times that you were close to giving up or or really had a, a you know a big setback and and how you dealt with that? I mean, they happen every day, right? Like it's it, on the personal level and on all that. I think uh, even my first job, I remember my first day on the job, I misquoted the, the horsepower of a car and, uh, and, and it was just a magnitude higher, right? So, uh, the, the manager at the dealership approached me and said, like, I'm going to let you go. I pretty much along the lines, like you're giving me as if I had like intentionally or Ill, in, in ill form, try to, so I think my takeaway from that time was. If you don't know something, just don't don't just throw a number, right? Like, uh, or if you're in, we're in doubt, it's better to say you don't know, right? So, having that that first day at 18 years old, like being scared to death, that like I, I was gonna disappoint my dad and everyone else just uh, for the horsepower of a car, like that translates on everything, right? Like, in, at some point, you're going to be on an investment committee. And they're going to ask you what's the what's the revenue growth for this company? Like, don't make it up. Right? Just it's easier to say you don't know. Uh, and, and and well, ideally you actually know the number, but if you don't, don't make it up, right? Like it's eventually like you're if if you if if you get in, in, in into like stretching the truth and things like that, you ultimately get in trouble and like life catches up with you. Yeah, I think that's great advice, and especially if you're. If you're an entrepreneur and you've taken money from investors, uh, you don't want to lie to your investors. No, you don't want to lie to everyone. Yeah, to anyone. Yeah. 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 And you don't want to keep them in the dark either. Sometimes it's a lie of omission as well. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of great advice in there. My dad dad always say that, like, you can, well, apparently my grandfather told my dad, my mom's dad told uh, told my dad uh, when when he was, uh, they were looking to get married. And... uh, he said, like, you can lie to everyone, but you cannot lie to yourself. And I think that's, that's, it's also very important as an entrepreneur, because sometimes like you're going to know if something's going to work or not. So it goes back to that conviction point that I have. It's uh, you need to believe it. 
right? Like you, and, and you need to be honest with yourself. And and when if you start lying to yourself, of course you're gonna lie to everyone because it's it's just a natural kind of progression right. of things. Right. Right. And it gets hard because you yeah. want to believe and uh, you've invested a lot and yeah. there's a lot of sunk costs. So it is it is a challenge. But I think it's really important to have those values and to remind yourself. And and what I heard in your answer was that your use you use your failures as as a way to learn uh, that yeah. they're lessons. And uh, that's it's power. Yeah. It's it's kind of uh, it's just new energy. It gets reused. Uh, it's. Uh, uh it's it's probably one of the biggest sources of of can do in my life I, I, the the success is kind of like a nice moment but the failures are just the actual energy it, it really provides uh, uh because it's in essence where you what what do you want to kind of go for right like i until you you, you make it happen that's, that's, I think that's great advice. That's what, that's what energizes us to keep going and, and get to the next level, which is usually a much higher level than where we were before. This has been a great conversation. I have learned a lot and I know my audience has learned a lot. It's been, it's just been great learning about your company and about, you know, hearing about everything that, that you're up to. Um, I, I just, I have to ask you sort of what's next for your company? Like what, what big thing are you thinking about next? What are some of the big ideas you have? I think for us, like uh, for, it's first and foremost, is we have, we're obsessed with our customer. It's being happy, right? So it's continuing to deliver a great product. I mean, it, we can get, uh, uh, I can tell you what's going to happen in 20, 30 years, but First and foremost, is like we need to be in, in the present and very focused on, on delivering phenomenal uh, technology to our customers. I think as we think uh, longer term, uh, obviously, like the ambitions are great, right? Like I think the loan origination system that we're providing uh, to, our, to our market audience, it's going to allow them to like empower the non-technical teams. It's going to allow them to like be much more efficient lenders. And, and ultimately, it's going to allow them to work with a, a plethora of uh, other very cool and up-and-coming startups because they're going to hold their keys to their own destiny. Our our platform is kind of like an app store for them. To, it's just kind of the orchestration layer in which they do all and set up their entire lending operations. We're just an operating system for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you've got a great future ahead of you, and I'm really excited to watch where your company's headed. If you, uh, as we end, I always like to ask all my guests, if you had one piece of advice for our audience, and our audience is typically students or early stage entrepreneurs, others out there practice, you know, in the practice of entrepreneurship, what would that advice be? Don't let anything define you. Like that's, that's nothing defines you. Just like not, not your success, not your, not your failures, just like just go do your the best of this life is amazing it's it's now uh, uh the present moment is amazing but most importantly just don't let anything define you i think that sometimes people get caught up and and like this happened to me this person did this to me or or i was great or i'm the best like nothing defines you, you you're gonna be up and you're gonna be down but uh, just just don't don't let anything define out. That's kind of what I would say, like yeah, to say. That, yeah. that's I think that's great advice. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really kind of choose yourself and choose the direction you want to take, and don't let those external forces really 
decide who you're going to be or who you're not going to be. So great, great advice. So where could our listeners find more, find out more about you and your business and maybe, maybe even connect? Yeah, like they, they, um, my, my name is Andres Claric, A-N-D-R-A-E-S, the first name, K-L-A-R-I-C for the last name. Uh, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or they can also look us up at fusefinance.com. That, that is F-U-S-E, finance.com. Uh, and they, they will have all the contact information there. Like I, I will do my best uh, to, uh, to chat with everyone or like send uh, as, uh, as quick as a response as I can. And don't be shy. I'm I'm here to help, and I I've been in your shoes before, and and I love paying it forward because people have been incredibly generous with me through the through my career. So any, anything I can do to help others, I'll I'll, I'll try to do, so, do 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 my best. Thank you, Andreas. Really appreciate your time and sharing so generously of your entrepreneurial journey and story. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate. It. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.